0: My guest this week needs no introduction, but I just can't help myself. There are few entrepreneurs and designers like my guest this week, and even less who have been running their own company independently, might I add, for 50 years. A company that means so many things to so many people, from designing Land Rovers, Porsches, homeware, cameras, luggage, and your favorite suits. The gentleman who invented classics with a twist is here. It's Sir Paul Smith. And what a chat we had. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blammo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is the legendary British designer, Sir Paul Smith. Paul and I discuss how a cycling accident launched his career as a creative, why his wife's knowledge of couture has been essential to their success, and what it's taken for his business to last 50 years and stay independent. We touch on everything with some phenomenal stories you don't want to miss. I got
1: really into cycling and it's, it's totally changed, changed my life.
2: Yeah. Well, um, that's lovely. That's great. I mean, and uh, as you know, that that's almost the reason I got into fashion is that is that, you know, yeah. Uh, by falling off my back well a car hitting me and uh and then and then suddenly discovering the world of creativity but that was a after three months in hospital
1: yeah because that that was the plan right you were going to be a cyclist professionally
2: I honestly don't think I would have been good enough but my dream was to, to become a cyclist. Luckily I've kept in touch with a lot of the a lot of the bike riders so I've been talking to the you know there's the Giro d'Italia right now in in Italy so I've been talking to some of the guys that are are in that and then there was just the Tour de France and um yeah so I i've yeah, age 12 I got my my dad bought me a, a bike and uh, He bought it from somebody who was a member of the local cycle club. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, why don't, you know, Paul, why don't you come out at the weekends with us? And um, the first thing that was so interesting is age 12, going out on my bike with, uh, you know, I don't know, 12 people. And uh, no parents. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking around and then, and then there's like no parents here and I'm just like with grown-ups and it was seemed so cool I mean <laughs> it was actually quite exhausting because they do about 40 miles and I was 12 but um eventually they said oh you should you should uh, ride you know you, you, there's a school schoolboy category you can do that so I started riding uh, racing and then I moved up to the junior category and I you know I just thought that maybe, I could earn a living as a bike rider because I didn't really have anything else in my head at the time. You know, mm. I, I wasn't particularly interested in, I mean, I like music, but I wasn't particularly interested in being a musician and I, I, I hadn't, I wasn't really into fashion at all. Um, so th- after the crash, it was quite interesting that completely by chance, two of the people in the hospital had said to me, uh, why don't we, uh, you know, keep in touch because, uh, Actually, we all, we all got let out of <laughs> the hospital at the same time. And uh, they, they said, oh, I know. They, one of the guys said, I know this, the Bell Inn, a pub in Nottingham, in my hometown. He said, let's just meet there. I went there and I realized there was all these wonderful young people there, men, and, you know, boys and girls, but mm-hmm. slowly talking to them, getting to, to, you know, second visit, third visit. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm an architecture student. Architecture? I mean, I know what the word means, but I didn't really know, you know, what, what you did and how it right. worked. Then graphic designer, fashion designer, photographer, art. And I thought, I wonder if you can go and earn a living, you know, doing something that's creative like this. It, it could be a brilliant way of earning a living. Yeah. And it just progressed from there. It's so amazing, really. I'm not sure whether it's uh, luck or destiny or what, you know, I've no idea, really. <laughs>
1: Well, it's like what we're sitting here and, and, you know, Paul Smith, the brand is you're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the company. Yeah. I and mean, that, that is, it's monumental. I mean, I don't, when you think about companies and clothing companies in history, especially ones that have the original founder as the, as the lead designer. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe Ralph is one of the only ones.
2: Yeah. Ralph and probably, Giorgio Oman, oh, Correct. Yes, similar, yes, I mean. You know, like maybe, in. I think he was 74, 1974. Yes. And uh, Ralph was last year, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then mine's this year. And um, yeah, I know, it's it's interesting. The, what's nice about, uh, for me, is that I'm still, we're still an independent company, which is remarkable in this world of, takeovers and uh, you know, financial institutions ooh, eating you, you know, know, eating, okay. <laughs> eating you for breakfast oh a fashion designer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can i can i just say
1: thank you for that because i think as someone who has always been in love with fashion for most of my life i've loved how the identity you can build around it the the chameleon-like you know life you can have with it and really learning more about how to love yourself more seeing big fashion brands that all of a sudden get yeah like you were saying get get swallowed whole by vcs that want 8x return and and i understand it but it's it's been hard because you know i mean you the the self discovery and and maybe the ability to make mistakes and and learn from them i feel like it's not as happening more like you you look down at your phone and i'm someone's trying to sell me laundry pods and then a one shoe that is the best shoe for all my life like it's it's challenging
2: the the whole thing is is very what's so interesting is that uh, the whole thing has changed so massively since the beginning because Mm -hmm. when you know I, i was fortunate enough to to meet somebody called Pauline, who's now my wife, and we've been together since I was 21. So, but she, the the fortunate thing was she trained at the Royal College of Art in London, and she trained in couture fashion. So that meant making things by hand, cutting by hand, stitching by hand, fitting a body perfectly. And so the attitude of a couturier is very, very different to, uh, ready to wear, you know, off the peg, and yeah. then, and then when we met, um, and then eventually at home, obviously just around the kitchen table, she'd be, you know, we bought a sewing machine, teaching me how to sew a shirt, how to make a jacket, how to cut a pattern, and but setting the key point was setting this lovely standard of it always must be so many stitches to the inch, trying to use a really good quality button. Um, think about how the shoulder pad is. Not, so it was very much about the construction. And, mm. and now if you go to a fashion college, there'll be, uh, the, of course, there'll be the design aspect to it, but there'll be a whole chunk of your week as a, a, of your education that is to do with networking, marketing, social media, how to attract uh, attention to yourself and all that. I mean, our early collections <clears throat> in the seventies were honestly designed from our head and our heart. There were mm. just there were just things that you had in your head. You think, well, oh, quite like a slimmer, longer jacket, or wouldn't it be nice if we use a softer shoulder pad, or what about if we did no side seam in the trouser, or. A higher back on the trouser and it was just right. all through the love of clothing but now everybody's following everybody and um, looking at what other people are doing and then obviously it's it's to is it on trend and uh, and then of course front rows of fashion shows which are full of influencers bloggers celebrities and so the industry is just massively different to what it was before.
1: Yeah. How do you feel about that?
2: Uh, I mean, in some cases, I get, well, of course I get it and I completely understand it and I can't really criticize it. It's the way the world goes. I think what's interesting about the pandemic is that, that, that whether, you know, maybe your toddler, when they're 14 to 20, might just think quite like things that are not massive companies or not, Sold to me in a certain way, like you described earlier, like you on your phone, they're trying to sell you things to do your washing or the shoe you've got to wear for the rest of your life. I mean, it, it, we're so bombarded yeah. with um, with stuff. Um, and you know, maybe maybe the, the your, your toddler's generation will just say, Well, actually, I quite like the corner shop, you know, or I, I quite like it. I'd like to have a, do it, do it differently. I mean, and obviously there I'm not just talking about fashion. I'm Of course. You know, it could be anything really.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that is, that's something that I and my wife and I try to be really conscious of in terms of what we purchase, how we purchase um, especially, you know, and we don't even have to get into sustainability right now, but just like being a part of something greater than ourselves and realizing that, um like I was saying earlier, you know, when we were in New York, it was really important for us to go to this coffee shop. Um, yeah. you know, it was locally run, the coffee was great. Um and you know, we knew that not that we're high and mighty, but we knew that us and other people in the neighborhood were all supporting this coffee shop and keeping it going. And that that, you know, and like say there was a day I'd forgotten my wallet or, you know, say my daughter was whining a little bit and he would, you know, give her give her like a little snack or something like that. And it's just like this kind of beautiful sort of harmonious environment of all of us, you know, leaning on each other. And in a, in a weird way to, to pivot that to fashion, that's one of the things I've always loved about um, Paul Smith and the company that, you know, that you've built over the years. When I first moved to New York, um, there were a couple shops I wanted to go to. One was Prada because I knew it, it existed, but I'd never been to it, you know, coming from the Midwest. And the other was Paul Smith because Paul Smith was a brand that, you know, all my cool friends that would go to Chicago or something would would, would go to. Um, and it was the, those signature multi-stripes. And I remember I wanted to get, um, you know, some like Dior jeans or something like that. And I wanted the cool multi-stripe Paul Smith shirt. Yeah. And I got that shirt and it's still in my closet. I mean, I still wear it. Um, and that's like, that to me has been a, uh, like, uh, a signature, like, like, like hallmark piece of my life of when I started to become an adult. And when I started to, um, really care deeply about my clothes and I had a little bit of extra money to do that. And I'm just kind of curious, like, was there ever a piece of clothing like that for you, Or maybe it's even something you designed that that became so um, that became that meant more than than the clothes. That meant like a memory.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things there. One is that that um, you know it's lovely that we were we were on your list when you came. But but also the company. I think the heart of the company is still there and it's still you know we have members of staff that like the guy who runs our warehouse 30 years he's been with us and Jeez. we're still very well-mannered company we still behave properly we deliver on time we're nice uh nicely made clothes so all those things are great and we have shops where people enter into conversation you know mm. because there's objects and uh uh, as you know, these books, these objects these, in, in some of the shops like the one in Mayfair in London, sells furniture, objects, paintings, as well as the clothes. So that lovely thing about conversation that you were saying definitely happens in a Paul Smith shop. Mm-hmm. And I do miss that with uh, the local deli or, like you say, the coffee shop. You know, I, I have a home in Italy and and, and in Tuscany in a, a town called Luca and... You know you used to go into Lucca, you go there for your bread and there for your ham and there for your ve- vegetables now, sadly, you go to the supermarket, which is on the outside of Lucca because you can park and they sell everything so that whole heart art of conversation has has disappeared you know which is so sad and um, and of course, then so many people are on the computer that Most of the welcome in most places now is the top of person somebody's head,
0: because Mm.
2: they're on the. You you book in, you book into to an airline. You see the top of a head. You buy (laughs) something from a supermarket. You see the top of. You know you. you, Do you have a face? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, going back to your favourite. I mean. I'm wearing a corduroy suit today, um, in, which is cashmere and, and, and cotton, and um, it's it's uh, nicely nicely beaten up, you know. And that's mm. what I like I like. Um, a lot of our clothes are going back to pauline and uh, and the understanding how things were constructed. A lot of our tailoring clothing is is built with this softness to it, this easiness to it. So the armhole is quite shallow, which means you can move, uh, very little padding on the shoulder. I mean, of course, we do ones that are more structured. I'm just talking about the ones I like. So this mm-hmm. is, I've got some 30-year-old plain caps, Paul, Paul Smith plane caps, that um, just get better and better as they get more and more used, you know. So old, fav- old favourites. Um, I think the interesting thing about their lockdown and COVID is that people are adding to their existing wardrobe, as opposed to buying a whole look. So, you know, especially because a lot of people have been doing Zoom, and um, so they just see the top of people. You know, the fact yeah. that they're in there in their swim trunks. I promise, <laughs> I have pants on right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I I see a lot of other friends of mine who have been doing, you know, the whole Zoom life is that um the desire to kind of I don't I don't want to say dress up, but to to care a little bit more about their wardrobe. Where, you know, I had friends who were like, I've been even myself, it's like I was wearing the same pair of Patagonia shorts and yeah. you know, a button down over and over again. It's like I want to wear my suits. I want to you know, invest in a better jacket now. And I also wanted to get rid of the things that I thought I cared a ton about, but I really don't like, I don't need 35 hoodies. Like I don't need a bunch of sweatshirts. I would like 35 jackets, but that's a whole other story. But, you know, and so, yeah, I've seen that I've mean, of-
2: 16 weeks here where mm-hmm. I'm sitting now at this table, 16 weeks in this building alone, which has got normally about 180 people in this building, so during lockdown, I sat here every day, and I was wearing a suit <laughs> more or less every day. Are you day. serious? Be- yeah, because our suits are so soft and easy. And I got my notebook and my pen and my uh, phone, my spectacles, my car keys, my house keys, uh, all all there. So I, I don't think I own any any uh, train tra- track bottoms or anything like that. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even know what I called. Do I? <laughs> I? I want
1: I want to jump back to when you were launching uh, Paul Smith. That that you know, because it started as a retail store, obviously. But you know, as you became more and more of like a fashion brand, when you started to see your name on advertisements and your name in clothing pieces of clothing, like what did that do inside your head?
2: Well, I mean. It did amuse me that people had my name written on the back of their underpants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, no, I, the initial uh, label wasn't the famous logo. It was an um, Art Deco uh, design. Mm. Actually, um, because of this anniversary year, we're doing we're doing we're remaking some of the uh, clothes that we've uh, found in the archive that we've got. Mm-hmm. and they're and they're going to have this new art deco or new this old art deco label um and and so it it was it's always quite exciting when you see your name um you know in a in a harrods I mean one of our first customers was a, you know harrods department store and um uh, the famous bon Marche department store in, mm-hmm. in harrods, which which is I think it was the first first department store in all of Europe, you know, uh, Bon Marché. So it's got a lot of history attached to it. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that was interesting. But um, I'm not sure. I think the most fantastic thing was when my wife, Pauline, and I, in 70, 78, maybe 77, 78, we were in Manhattan, in New York, and uh, we were in a taxi. And a Barneys ad came on for Paul Smith. And that was quite exciting. <laughs> that was pretty interesting, yeah. There's a young man from London, England. His <laughs> are so cool. Yeah. Sold it to Barneys. That was when they were downtown, you know. Wow. 16th, yeah, 15th, what was it, the 14th and 7th Avenue or something. They were down yeah. there. They, they did a radio ad. On one of those cool, um, the jazz jazz um, FM or whatever they're called, you know, really nice radio station. And there was this taxi driver who also was a very cool dude, um, and he had the radio on. And Pauline and I just looked at each other. And it was like, oh, <laughs> that that's pretty cool. cool. Hmm. Was that
1: like, was it that feeling, or was there something else that happened when you kind of took a step back and you're like, oh. I think I'm successful at this. I think, <laughs> I think I'm think i doing the right thing. No,
2: we've never really done that, actually, to be honest. Uh, that, really? That's so odd about Portsmouth. Yeah, he's, we've just, you know, we started the little shop, and then in 76, we, we made a little collection. We took it to Paris, showed it in a hotel room. Nobody came. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, one person came on the last day, and we got one order hey there you go and then (laughs) then eventually we had the little fashion show in my friend's apartment in paris because i couldn't afford to have a proper runway show so two of my friends had had a little apartment in well not a little a nice apartment in paris and they said come on you can have a little show there so we had a show there and barney's came for instance and neiman's and seibu from japan department store from japan uh, and uh, so it's always been this this gentle growth. I think one of the reasons why it's lasted for fifty years uh, is is that because mm. I've never had a moment where I thought, "Wow, you know, we've made it" or anything. I've never never felt like that really. Because mm. first of all, I think fashion's about today and tomorrow. So you've never made it anyway. So you know, <laughs> so tomorrow's. There's always a tomorrow around the corner, the new collection, the new the new sets of reviews, the new buyer at a department store prefers the things you used to do, or not the things you're doing now. Who knows, you know? Right. But uh, the genius of uh, for me, and the most lovely thing is 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 just being independent still, you know, just being an independent company, which is uh, probably the most special thing. The fact that you. You know, you have the opportunity of taking your company in the direction you want, rather than being uh, dictated by, you know, the financial side of the business or the brand image or whatever you call it.
1: Yeah, I mean, because yeah, like we were saying earlier, like you've you built the company with you know little to no funding at all whatsoever, and many brands their their goal is to have funding when they launch. So, like what what do you say to some of these new fashion designers and people that are starting now that are kind of wrestling with that mindset?
2: Well, I think the 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 danger of of just getting finance is probably at that point you your name is quite is starting to become popular, you're know, getting some attention from the press, but maybe you still don't have enough experience to know how to spend that money wisely. And it
1: depends.
2: It depends on whether you get money, or whether you get bought by somebody who is going to help you grow your business, and that's a very different thing. And um, and that could be really good and have longevity and uh, and and work really well. But other 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 companies, maybe if they they have money, they buy into you, but they don't. They don't have the experience either. So I mean personally starting out today I would um I would get as much experience as you can by working for other people learn the trade be a bit patient because everybody's in such a rush now you know and uh, as you know with soccer and uh, you know, other I don't know re- new restaurants whatever the manager of a soccer club gets you know, after three months, they are oh, well, what's happening? Why, you know, why aren't we at the top of the table? You know, and you say, yeah, well, actually, because it's only been three months. And then, you know, after a year, they get fired because um, they haven't turned it around. And it's absurd to think you can turn something around so quickly, you know. So it just, I think every, I think if one thing good might come from this virus is, just calming down a bit and just slowing down a bit and mm-hmm. realizing you don't need, uh, as much as you thought you needed. And, uh, yeah. over, the, over the pandemic, there was a lot of, lot of press, especially from Mr. O'Mani, saying, can we, uh, can we reconsider the seasons? Can we get the seasons back in order? So you're not delivering overcoats in July. And can we deliver overcoats, when it's cooler, which is September, October, November, um, can we have our markdown, our sales uh, when they used to be, which is, you know, March, April for a winter sale and uh, uh, the relevant time for the summer sale, you know, something like September uh, for a summer sale. So uh, <clears throat> he, he he was quite passionate about that, whether anybody – I'm completely with him on that, but uh, whether you need pre-collections and you need fall or holiday collections, who knows? I don't know, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of, well, not a lot, but I would say you see some newer brands now and they stagger the release of their collections. You know, I mean, like they'll do, I think a lot of people use what Supreme used to use, that clothing company, and they, they call them Drops right? Yeah. I'm air quoting there if you're listening uh, in the sense that, you know, you get very tiny portions of the collection that come out at a time. And it's funny because a lot of people would be like, man, Supreme, they were so ahead of their time. They really knew. But for them, it was about cash flow management and what they could afford to make at that time. It was not some sort of grandiose, you know, smart way to do it. But I think, you know, there's a company called 18 East, which is run by a, a dear friend of mine and his business is done really well by, you know, they'll show little collections, but they they only will release very, very tiny amounts at a time. I mean, five, 10 pieces and it kind of keeps people wanting to come back. It keeps people trying to discover. And in terms of supply chain, it's
2: great. But now it's become, you know, the, a treadmill and then designers are adding a, a fifth delivery rather than, you know, it used to be pre and pre main and main drops uh, four four drops. And now, yeah. and then they had a, you know, a resort or holiday. And then, and then, you know, the Mr. Omani and many others have been saying, I, and then you get all the markdowns at the wrong time. And, you know, you get markdowns before the Christmas holidays. And uh, it, it's just very confusing. So, you you hope that maybe there'll be some readjustment, uh, and of course the other big huge question is fashion shows and and whether mm. whether you know people will still either be able to afford expensive fashion shows. I mean I don't mean the big guys, but you know other other guys because they're very costly to do, or whether they're even relevant anymore, and um, whether the whole celebrity and the front row as we've seen it is, we'll continue in that same way we just don't know you know yeah uh,
1: on the topic you know you were talking about some of the employees and people that you've had over the years um you know people like ralph lauren armani you of course there are many like great designers and people who have come from working from you and in terms of like working at paul smith is almost a PhD or a university in terms of like being at such a well-oiled machine in a, a respected place. What sort of environment have you tried to make in terms of mentorship of like some of your, your younger um, staff?
2: I mean, the, the table where I'm sitting right now, which is uh, got eight chairs around it um, is always basically empty. Um, the room, as you can probably see, uh, cause you you can see your audience can't, can't yeah. see But the room is full of books, uh, objects, uh, um, things that fans have sent from around the world. So I always have my design meetings in this room and they're very open, um, open uh, meetings. And I always start off by saying, you know, I'm going to throw out lots of ideas. You know, many of them are just just going to fall by the wayside and some of them might seem a little silly. But, you know, it's my job to provoke and then lean back and then pull out a book and, so just to answer your question, it's a very open, uh, open environment with, uh, with designer Paul Smith. Uh, it's a, a very open door uh, mm. way of working. I'm always with the designers. Uh, the floor I'm on uh, across the landing, we have shoes and bags. The floor right below me now is um, where we do print, textile print. And then, uh, on that same floor, the other side is where we do the actual physical design of the, the garments. And then below that, we have architects who design all the shops. Um, and so it, it, we – and then we have our, all our own social media, marketing, yeah. traditional press, uh, salespeople to do franchise, all in one building. So a, a designer who's who's curious and who's – nice easy person to talk to can get so much about the industry from this building you know we're on the fourth floor here by the time you get to the bottom the ground floor you'll you'll have witnessed all the other lovely jobs that are uh, available in this industry so you know it could be visual merchandising window dressing right. working in press uh, uh, whatever and and uh, that's uh, I think that's what designers get by working at Paul Smith this this almost uh, immersed in every aspect of it and there's no hierarchy you know there's never any shouting or screaming there's never any we we all just get on with it you know so if it needs doing we get on with it and i'm in there with them you know every day literally every day you know no, nothing nothing changes and uh, and obviously my my contribution is is this lateral thinking a childlike approach to why can't we do that let's try it come on let's try it and also years of experience and their contribution if they're 20 to 30 is the you know the modernity of of the industry either for men or for women or accessories so there's this lovely balance between my experience and my sort of lateral way of thinking and and then their the fact that they live with you know live, share an apartment with a graphic designer or a kid who works right car and so it's, it's this lovely, it's like a cocktail of ingredients which a designer who comes to work for me will get rather than just a, I am a pattern cutter or I, mm. I only do jackets or I only do knitwear, you know. It's, it's more of a, a selection of different things that you'll um, be witness to.
0: Some of us are going back into offices, and some of us are staying put, but all of us need some new clothes. Pete Johnson is a custom men's clothier with a focus on soft tailoring, comfort, and a natural laid-back elegance. With their own private factory in Italy, and lush showroom in New York, Sydney, Melbourne, and London, you can easily stop in and see for yourself, or check out one of their trunk shows. Patrick and the crew just released their newest collection, and it's fantastic, I personally love the technical field jacket and the vegan suede overshirt. It's a look that's put together, but it's not contrived. It's simple, it's elegant, it's flattering. And if you want something special made just for you, you can make something new and it's not going to take nine months to make. We're talking a few weeks. Visit pjt.com to view it and learn more. P. Johnson builds individually crafted top-to-bottom wardrobes for men and women. So visit pjt.com to learn more, or geez, go to their Instagram. You'll see new eyewear, overshirts, and some of the best styling you'll ever see on a runway or a catwalk. It's a vibe. It's P. Johnson. Has anyone else gotten really into packages? Maybe it's quarantine, but I can't wait for the mail every day. I recently signed up for Bespoke Post and have really enjoyed it. Bespoke Post is here with customized Box of Awesome collections for guys. Guaranteed to upgrade your life, each box is different. Bespoke Post only sends guys the best stuff every month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. I got a killer box to unwind filled with candles and new skincare products, and another box filled with great baking and cooking gear. My newest box had an incredible bag and leather wrap, too. To get started, you take the quiz at boxofawesome.com, and your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. You'll say what you like and what you don't. Example, I'm not into tobacco stuff, but I am into cooking gear. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. You're not just going to get some t-shirt you don't want. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside, right? So get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code BLAMO at checkout for 20% off your first box. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel any time. So check out bespokepost at boxofawesome.com and enter code BLAMMO for 20% off your first box. I, I would say the the
1: mindset that you're communicating in terms of how you like to think and, and you know, is not as common as one might assume. Was there someone who was mentoring you in the early stages of your career to kind of think more like this?
2: Uh, only Pauline, uh, you know, my my. my yeah. wife. Um, I mean, when I say only, that's too, that's too, <laughs> you know, in, inappropriate uh, mm. thing to say. I mean, basically, she set the standard because mm. of her training at the Royal College of Art doing couture. She set the standard straight away. I remember in 78 sending, you know, our first consignment to Barney's in New York, and it was quite a big consignment for me. It was 400 shirts, <clears throat> and I had other... British designers, friends, selling, sending to Barney's or to Bloomingdale's, and sadly, their goods would come back, and they were actually better designers than, than us at the time, more creative, not better, but more creative. But it's because our product was always um, well made, uh, complete. The documents were always done properly, properly packed, and and these other kids that got great ideas and wonderful things, but sadly, most of them. Just they they were very delivered very late, or the quality was not good enough, and so Pauline was setting that standard really early on uh um pay attention to the button quality, pay attention to the buttonhole, make sure the interlining is correct uh, because you could have a very lightweight fabric and then put a heavy interlining in the collar of the shirt and it just doesn't work and and then you know, many young designers were saying, "Well, oh, I didn't even know there were different weights of interlining." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so she was really, you know, f- taking down the route at the beginning. And of course, one of the most joyful things was um, um, and pri- privileged things because she was teaching two days a week in my hometown of Nottingham. She came to live with me in Nottingham, and twice, no, once a year. Uh, she was allowed to take a few students, normally about four or five, to Paris. And I went along with them. Uh, and uh, you'd, you could go to the Chambre Syndicat, which is the organisation that, that takes care of all the shows in Paris, uh, and you could get tickets for the couture shows. So you could go to the... Pauline and I went to the couture shows in the late 60s uh, when Saint Laurent was there, yeah, Chanel was there, um, and and, uh, and uh, there was the balance, the, the Balenciaga wasn't there, but there was Balenciaga, Jean Patou, Balmain, Cardin. We went to all those Couture shows, and guess how many there were in the audience? Eight, ten, maximum twenty in the audience. They used to do two Couture shows a day or one couture show a day for two weeks no music just uh, was always in the house of the designer so not in a, a big venue just in the salon of the designer maybe two spotlights a little list on the on the on the chair of the 14 looks that there were only hardly any looks the Vonders were there. They're the ladies with their pin cushions. They were there who do all the fittings. And then in the audience there'd be us, which were about six people. We were not allowed to take plastic bags in. We had to leave our coats at the door because we needed to look smart. <laughs> uh, there was um, there'd be a couple of socialites from from New York there, maybe one musician or something. And then, at nearly every show, there'd be two nuns and four or five 15-year-old girls that had been taken from the convents in France to the couture shows with a view of them entering the world of couture as a profession, as a career. And, uh, And they would end up, they would go to the couture shows to witness the couture shows, and then they... Hopefully, we'd get a job as a as an embroiderer or a, a twiller. Uh, you know where they make the this, they make the little cotton uh, mock-ups on the stand. That's called a twiller, mm-hmm. or it might be a, 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 a stitcher, or and so it was all that grounding. Can you imagine? It's so different to the modern way that uh, people have worked. So either that could have been a big disadvantage, but in my case, I think it's kept my feet on the ground, kept the standard really high. And and also in the case of shops, I've got one shop in Notting Hill Gate in, in London in a house built in 1850, which is completely based on the fact that when I went to Saint Laurent's uh, salon, it was in an old house, a uh, hotel in particular in Paris, So I've got a a house in my hometown of Nottingham built in 1740 uh, with a shop in it. And I've got a house in Kyoto in Japan with a a shop in it. And all that was based on these early, early trips uh, to the couturiers in in Paris. And then years later, Saint Laurent stopped doing couture fashion. Um, And uh, by that time, I got to know Mr. Saint Laurent um, and uh, he made Pauline my wife the very last tuxedo uh, couture that he ever made and she has it and he made he remade the style from the show we went to in 1967 he made, he he, he was willing to remake the style so it was amazing stuff wait, I mean, wait, wait, hold yeah just <laughs> Sorry.
1: this is this is incredible i mean i got these other questions left and i want to be conscious of time but how did you Meet and befriend Saint Laurent.
2: Yeah, I, through through uh, his partner called Pierre Berge, who was a big Paul Smith fan, and and shopped in, shopped in our shop, in uh, bought clothes in our shop in Rue de and Boulevard Raspail in in Paris, and uh, and then slowly we got invited to a dinner. With Saint Laurent, with Pauline wearing the smoking, <laughs> the, the 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 tux tux, and we we you know we met him and his muse, uh, Saint Laurent's muse is the famous uh, blonde girl. I can't remember her name now. And Helmut Newton's wife was there. Uh, the photographer, you know, wife was there. So I don't know. Interesting stuff. Anyway, do you want to do some questions? <laughs> no, <sorry. laughs> no, no, no. This is this is great. Um, there well there's a, a few other things before before we 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 can possibly take 2 and you can do the questions we'll do it another time
1: <laughs> no th- th- i am i am fascinated um wh- one of the things that you you've said a lot in the past that i think many people have have really tried to adhere to is that you believe that logos are a personal weakness do you still feel that way
2: well the the the, the use of a logo aggressively on clothes it, yeah. it um, is a sort of a, a way of selling more goods quickly. That's that's really what it's that's what it's about. Now I completely understand it, uh, but I generally uh, We have some logo this year because of the fiftieth anniversary, but generally we don't use logo. Now the reason I don't use logo is not the same as the other guys because I don't use logo because Portsmouth is owned by me, and if. You use too much logo, your little toddler, and you say if you wore Paul Smith with Paul Smith all written over it, by the time he's uh, 14, she's 14, she said, I don't want that. That's what my dad wears. Oh. So you get the rejection of the second generation or the third generation uh, uh, because uh, But with, with my business being mine, I need it to keep going. And when a lot of the big brands that use my logo are part of a stable of 50 people, 50 brands, so they can see their brands go down a bit or up a bit or even disappear in some cases, Um, they can do that because they have a stable of of brands. And so that's why they can do it. But for a a company that's owned and, and is just a single brand company, in my opinion, it's dangerous and uh and and we've seen it with other designers that you you know who are finding it very difficult getting younger customers because the the you know the guy on the tv who read the sport was wearing you know the logo sure. yeah yeah so that's, that's the reason i don't do it i completely understand it i have no problem with it but that's the reason i don't do it
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense um it, on, in terms of like the responsibility that like the Paul Smith brand has today, like, you know, when you first started, you were kind of an underdog, you were a smaller company and now, you know, 50 years, massive company, extremely well-respected. Your accomplishments are almost exhausting to read. What responsibility do you feel that the Paul Smith brand has today that it didn't have
2: when you first started? Well, I have um, a personal responsibility to my staff uh, of which we have a, a, quite a lot of staff. And a lot of the staff have been with me for a long time. The other thing is that I, I, I want a, a, a responsibility for doing things correctly and not fast-tracking around trying to cheat on how quickly you do things. Right. So that, what, what does that mean? That means um, always having good manners, always giving time to people, putting putting your experience back into the next generation. So sort of setting a standard that should be about human beings on the earth behaving properly with each other, which, as we know, is not the case at all, sadly, because there's so many horrible wars and dreadful things happening around the world. But, you know, all you can do is try and do your own little bit. Uh, <clears throat> and humanity is, um, is, you know, something that I'm very con- conscious of myself, that I just want the experience of being in this building where we are now or this conversation we have now and you you know we finish in whatever minutes and you go you think that was really that was a very nice thing to do that was just that was good so you know that you don't go away with some sort of strange angst inside you so I think that's that's important and then of course the the thing you briefly mentioned earlier is um the whole world of sustainability recycling global warming um all of all my shops in UK are um uh powered by solar panels uh, the electricity okay. um they a warehouse in in my main warehouse is the same uh, we recycle water from rainwater for taps we use recycled boxes lights go off in rooms when they're not being used 85% of our jersey is uh jersey, jersey wear is organic uh and obviously wants it to be 100 percent. so we're just doing our bit where we can you know and we've got one full-time girl just focusing on helping us you know advisors and, and and picking up on us if we're not doing something that we should be doing you know yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean i it's that's such an important thing these days and When I think a lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, how much just like textiles contribute to, to waste and, and seeing how, especially companies like yourself that are able to set an example of like, no, 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 this is how we're going to operate our business. And
2: it's very, I mean, a a sentence I use a lot in these conversations is we do our best Mm -hmm. because you can't, it's, it's very hard to be, Completely pure, and have a uh, have a business that can employ people and create jobs, and uh, create export, and uh, provide you know provide incomes for people. But all you can do is your best, basically, and and that's what we're doing. And and in terms of tailoring or clothing fabric, um, they've made enormous headway in uh, washing wool. Um, The way they dye wool and using a lot less water and using different less chemicals and so they've made amazing uh, headway, uh, especially the Italians uh, with the fabrics. Yeah, I agree. Um, Other things that like you've designed
1: over the years, you've you've done you've done collaborations with Barry Bros and Rudd. You've done Land Rover. How did some of these things come about? I mean, because. Especially the Land Rover thing. Like, how, how does that happen? They just knock on your door.
2: Yeah, literally. <laughs> That's how they've all come about. And 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 the there's two two little words of well thoughts. Words of wisdom. One one is one is them. Um, one is that uh, many years ago, when I was in my twenties, um, one of my old bosses, when I was designing fabric, said to me. He said, "When when somebody." offers something to you like, Oh, do you want to, uh, yeah, you could come and work for me and we'll do this. Or, Oh, would you like to design a car or always take a breath, always take a breath and say, that sounds really interesting. I'll talk to you tomorrow when I've had time to think about it. So all these things, um, like Land Rover, I've never, they asked me. I said, "I'll have to come back to you tomorrow when I've had time to think about it." And tomorrow is not always tomorrow, but it means come back to them. I've got yeah. one one, for instance, happening right now this this week, where somebody's approached me with something that could be quite lucrative, quite interesting, but I'm not really sure yet. So I need to think about it. And often you 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 just say no because it, it's not right. <clears throat> And so uh, giving yourself time to, to do that is really, is really good. And, and all the things have come by, just people approaching us, and we say no to far more things than we say yes to, far more. And then, and then the other, the, the other this interesting sentence is, is the reason why you say no to certain things and also the reason why with I've never had a fashion moment or whether I've never think I've made it, never – is because nobody cares how good you used to be. Oh, damn. So that's that's so important. You know, Andy Warhol famously said, everybody can be famous for 15 minutes. Yeah. And he, he didn't mean literally 15 minutes. What it means is you can have your moment. The reason why we're in 50, 50 years is because we've always um, – Uh, I've always reassessed, reassessed, reassessed. And right now, this year, in the 50th year, I'd already decided that I was going to reassess my team and see about our relevance in 2021. And for a company that's doing well, to, to be brave enough to reassess and to be not too snobby and too ego to say, actually, I need to look at my business. I need to just see what we're going to do. And this year, sadly, with the virus, uh, but we've, we've made big adjustments and around this table tomorrow, yesterday, a group of young people, both male and female, that uh, are the future of Paul Smith. And they're, they're so excited. It, it is so exciting. I mean, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. But, you know, yeah, young people, marketing, design, buying, sustainability, I mean, just great young minds. And you, you, the problem is somebody like me, you just get, if you don't watch it, you get too comfortable, you get too full of your own importance. And then before you know where you are, you put your back in the chair and then whoosh, somebody's taking, overtaking you on the freeway and uh, nobody cares how good you used to be. So that's, that's something reassessing all the time is so important.
1: I agree. And I think, you know, the ability to do that is, is, you know, is very difficult for some people because what it sounds like that you're also wrestling with is being okay with, with not necessarily stepping aside, but empowering others. And I think when you think about big, big companies the ego of the founder or the ego of the primary designer is
2: barely fits in a room. Yeah, big problem. And often companies that are at their absolute height in terms of press, orders, distribution, uh, exactly when they go wrong. You know, because because they're just too comfortable in the chair, they haven't reassessed. Uh, and, you know, fashion is fickle and fashion's about today and tomorrow. Fashion, the word fashion is to be fashionable. Well, if you're not fashionable, <laughs> then uh, nobody's going to be interested. So, this yeah. constant reassessing and uh, and thinking about things. And, um, and that's something that I've tried to do in my whole career. Yeah. Well, but
1: before we wrap up, one of the last things I wanted to discuss with you that I know is really important to you is, is music. And the, and I know that you, you, over the years you had a relationship with, with Mr. David Bowie. How did, how did that start? And what was that like?
2: He was a customer. I mean, he just <laughs> didn't come in the shop, you know, and I was in, in, I was in my, my, where I am now today in this room, um, is different to where I used to be Uh, in the year 2000. I moved to this building with 200 people, but before I used to be in an attic uh, above my shop. Um, And um, one day I could hear a lot of noise and people. And then I got the phone rang and said, David Bowie's downstairs and there's about 600 people outside. (laughs) And uh, so I went down and said hello. And he, he was a big fan. He bought a lot. I mean, he never bought things for stage. He bought things for his own personal, you know, for wearing off stage, right to the, you know, right just before he passed away. And there's pictures of him in a navy blue suit and just before he passed away. And we did a project with him just before he died um, uh, on the Black uh, Star album and we yeah. did t shirts for him. And he, uh, so he started to come into the shop, but then asked if he could come up to my. Studio, and he'd sit and uh, he was very curious man. He was very interested in. Oh, he used to call me Smithy. Oh, Smithy, why have you got that book? What's that book about? Why is that painting? Who's did who did that photograph? So he was very curious, and that definitely led to his creativity. Of the fact he was always doing what I've said earlier, never resting on his laurels. He was always looking for a new uh, chameleon approach to his you know stage work and he was lovely one night um the most beautiful thing for my wife and i was we had supper with him one night and uh and iman his his wife and it was in a restaurant in london that was upstairs and after the dinner we left and we were walking down the stairs quite a wide stairs and then suddenly david bowie started singing the party's over. I'm going to call it a day. And Pauline and I looked at each other, and we were going. I think that's David Bowie <laughs> singing to us. I mean, it was the most. I'm getting goosebumps telling you the story, which is true. You know, um, just mad. And so, you know, I somehow or other, I got to know a lot of bands. I know Jimmy Page really well from Zeppelin, and yeah, he he he's he's still in. You know, we're still in touch with him. Clapton. Uh, and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm friends with like the luminaires and you know the younger bands that, from your country, you know. Uh, so it, it's just something that's I've I've had since I was 18. You know, I made trousers personally, physically made trousers for uh, Jimmy Page when I was 18, and he was 24 inch waist, and his the bottom of the trousers were 28 inch. <laughs> Can you believe? Really- so he would, he obviously had these really big flares on, you know, this tiny little hips and waist and they were in crushed velvet. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you ever stop to think that, you know, when you talked about, oh, like someone called you like this, David Bowie's downstairs. Like, do you ever stop to think that you are that person for other designers of shops that you may visit?
2: No, I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure I don't that. know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, well, maybe if he is, that's lovely, but um, I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well, Paul, it, this has been, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor. I want to be conscious of the time that we had set aside here. So uh, make sure you can go about your day. I really can't thank you enough for, for chatting with me and, and your candor. This has been a huge pleasure and honor. Congrats on 50 years. This is really spectacular.
2: Yeah. Thanks a lot. And uh, good luck with all you do. Thank you. All
1: right. We'll see you. Bye. Take care.
0: You've been listening to Blammo. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Brendan Finn and we're produced by Blammo Media. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blammo Podcast or leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Look, I don't get reviews either, but they help the show. So do it for the B. If you want even more Blammo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blammo to join the Blam fam. You'll get access to additional interviews, a community Slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Thanks so much, everyone. Hey, it's a new day. 2020 is almost over. Hang in there. We'll see you next week.